This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 92, where we're talking about Iron Fist, season one, episode three, Rolling Thunder, Cannon Punch. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast. This is episode 92, where we're talking about Iron Fist Season 1, Episode 3, Rolling Thunder Cannon Punch. And the first rule of talking about Iron Fist Season 1, Episode 3, is that we're going to talk all about it and spoil everything about it. So if you haven't watched the episode, go back and watch it, and then you can come and join us. I'm one of your hosts for this podcast, Derek. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out the group, I'm Chris. He is rounding out the group, Yes. Yes, we're all back again for another episode of our uh, our coverage of Iron Fist on uh, on Netflix. This one was a pretty darn good episode. This was really good. This is certainly it's just notching it up really nicely. I think it's building really quite well at the moment. Yeah, yeah, big yeah. time. Yeah, I think we've had a lot of discussions about pacing, and it seems like if we actually take the series as a pacing, they just started slow. They they literally it's almost like a first date. We're now in the third date. We're kind of letting go to second base. It's <laughs> happening. It's it, it's good. It's good. It's good. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. I hope you're subscribed to the podcast. We are releasing episode reviews of our coverage of Iron Fist on every Tuesday and Friday every week. Um, so episode four will be coming up on the 24th of March, which is Friday. And obviously today is a Tuesday. Uh, so if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, pop on over to uh, iTunes by going through defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes. Subscribe to us there. Or if you want to find us on any other podcast catcher like Podcast Addict, Podbean, Beyond Pod, uh, just search for us using Defenders TV Podcast or Iron Fist. We actually come up under uh, under that as well. So, uh, so please subscribe so you can catch each of our episodes as we go. Um, we won't be spoiling anything ahead on episode four, five, or six. Um, we'll just be talking about episode three, but just make sure you've watched it before we continue. Uh, the way we cover our episodes is we discuss the our top five points. Uh, these ones are combined on this season where we talk about the best five moments or the top five moments that we pulled out of the episode. Uh, so hopefully you'll be able to join along with us and send us in your feedback as you go. Absolutely. And you can leave feedback at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. And you can leave voicemail feedback over at our website, defenderstvpodcast.com, 90 seconds long. And of course, we also now have our uh, spoilery comments section for each episode up on our Facebook group. Just head over to Facebook and search Defenders TV Podcast. You can reply to those comments and leave spoiler-filled posts about your thoughts on the episode and discuss it with other people in the group. So please come along and join us there. And whilst you're at it, um, you can also join our Facebook page if you want. And we are, of course, on Twitter as well. Just go to at DefendersCast and you'll see some random tweets about Iron Fist during the course of us watching them. Absolutely, yeah. It's been kind of fun getting some of the voicemails in uh, about the episodes. We're hoping to get loads more, so we do have a competition open, uh, which we'll talk about later um, on the podcast for anybody who's leaving us some feedback. So it's been, been really, really good. Gentlemen, think it's time to get into our discussion about this episode? I think so. I think it's about time at this point. So this episode of Iron Fist was written by the awesomely named Quentin Peoples. Uh, he has worked on a bunch of television shows before, before including Flash Forward. Uh, it's the first time working in the Marvel Universe, though. Uh, 
And the episode was directed by Tom Shankland, who directed an episode of Luke Cage. One of our favourite named episodes. Guess which one? It's Dwick, of course. Ah, Dwick. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. So he's he's the second time in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe doing his uh, doing his job here as a director. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis of the episode? Sure. Now on the run after escaping Birch Psychiatric Hospital, Danny Rand seeks refuge in the Chikara Dojo. Its owner, Colleen Wing, is unhappy about her new lodger, but as she's in serious debt, she accepts Danny on the promise of financial relief until he begins to cause controversy with her students. With Danny gone from the dojo and the need for additional money, Wing, calling herself the Daughter of the Dragon, turns to illegal street fighting to bring in much-needed cash. In a penthouse apartment across the city, Harold Meacham has other problems when he is visited by a very intimidating guest who wants to know why he left his penthouse and reiterates that he must hold up his part of the deal between them. Meanwhile, Danny meets up with one of his father's former legal secretaries to discuss his case against the Meachams. Formerly known by Danny as J-Money, the secretary is now a partner in her own law firm and is willing to work pro bono in return for being held on retainer with Rand Enterprises, but more importantly just to give the Meachams what she feels they deserve. As Joan Hogarth is on the case, it won't be long until Danny wins back his honour. Whilst at Rand Enterprises to thrash out the legal case, an overheard phone conversation between Ward and an unknown caller leads Danny to tail Ward to a plush downtown apartment block, where all is not what it seems. Our first big crossover episode. Absolutely, really is. What a great character to choose. Exactly. I think we'll go into our first Jerry, point. Jerry, 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 Jerry. <laughs> Jerry. Yes, uh, yes. No, it's uh, great to see Carrie Ann Moss back on the episode. So our first point is obviously about Jay Money and her appearance yeah. in the episode, and not Jerry Springer, not Jerry Springer. <laughs> but Jay it is, Money. It is fantastic to see Jerry Hogarth in the show. The character is kind of like the Foggy to um, to Matt Murdock's Daredevil uh, in the comic books. So having Hogarth being so involved in Danny's life uh, the minute he gets back to New York is great. And I love that there's that interaction between the two of them where he's treating her like he uh, hasn't seen her obviously since he was 10 years old. So he's treating her like that um, that one that always took care of him in the office, the legal secretary in a and I, um, who had a terrible life and was treated really badly in the in the office, and now she's a grown up with her own business. Um, I love the way she treats Danny. I love the interaction between the two of them. Definitely, I think uh, like Jay Money here is really, <laughs> really good. I mean, I love the fact as well that she she does kind of bring Danny straight down to earth. You know, she's kind of questions his homeless hipster look in a really kind of condescending way, and which is, of course, any little swipe at a hipster sometimes is gives you a little bit of joy Absolutely. in your molten dragon heart. You know, <laughs> um, no offense, obviously, love hipsters, great, um, but. <laughs> Danny's keeps saying to Joy and to Ward, this isn't about the money because they are, you know, thinking he's coming in here to take the company from under them. Um, and I love how Hogarth here really kind of, you know, makes the point money is the only language that they speak and yeah. you need to also speak this language. You know, that disconnect from being in, you know, the mystical city of Conlon and now in you know, the financial capital uh, in the world uh, of New York and just the language of money. I really, 
I really like that. And I, I, I must say, I really do like her disdain for, for the Meachams. Yeah. Um, she really does not like uh, Ward. She might be able to tolerate Joy, but like that, that exchange across the, the boardroom table, I just thought it was really, really good. And I mean, I can't wait to see their face when they realize that she's on retainer. Because she's bound to win. She's awesome. I think as well, one final thing. I do like the fact that by calling her J-Money, it does soften the thousand cuts thing and and everything from Jessica Jones. I mean, you know, she was nasty in Jessica Jones. She was a real heartless kind of lawyer um, in that towards her girlfriend and her staff. You know, she was quite ice cold. And there was a bit of softening up of her towards the end of Jessica Jones and a bit in Daredevil season two as mm-hmm. well where she she pops in. Um, but here, I think just Danny's response to her, just because Danny remembers her as a starting out lawyer, you know, a desk job, secretary kind of thing. They fold uh, that desk job. Yeah, like. then, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of like, okay, she wasn't always that ice queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the J-Money thing really helps her. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree with you here. Actually, I think they've gone... One of the concerns I think we all had was the the ice cold kind of hardness of the character in Jessica Jones and how that would translate to Iron Fist and being Jerry Hogarth, Danny Rand's confidant, his second in command almost of Rand Enterprises. Mm-hmm. And we, we were never sure how that relationship was going to work. So it looks like they actually did the right thing and well done to the team for this in that they introduced a character very early on and now they introduced her as a flawed, again, a flawed character um, who was kind of too into themselves, too ice cold, too, and through Jessica Jones, the happening in Jessica Jones and the happening in the short Daredevil season two, we see now that she seems to be more human. Yeah. She un- she she's basically understanding her flaws because I think basically if they had an inter- if this was taking place prior to Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Then it would be a completely different outcome. Yeah. And I think that's what they did. They did it in such a way that it was going, okay, let's destroy this character to a degree and then yeah. build her back up again. Yeah. But saying that she suddenly wanted the way that she she wants her she wants um her firm on retainer yes absolutely um for which is like okay with well, still a sliver of capitalism in her oh there's more than a did, sliver yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely i know what you mean and, and, and i don't I, she's still a businesswoman you know yes. she she's still got all of that going uh for her and i mean like, I, I do like the fact that she kind of was, like, saying to Danny as well, you know, keep going. What do you remember? Like, she didn't just buy the first kind of uh, old tale that, that Danny said, which did chime with her. Yeah. You know, she kept pushing him. I mean, you can almost see it working. This is how calculating she is, though, still, um, is that as soon as she said, okay, you're Danny Rand, okay, I'll do this for free, So, but you put my firm on retainer yeah. with Rand Enterprises. I think as well, it's nice little touch for her character that she was managing his parents' estate and that the flowers are fresh on, on the, the gravestone. Mm-hmm. Again, it just kind of, 
it's it, it does show her human qualities that you know she recognizes that they gave her her first opportunity at, at rand enterprises as a start out uh, legal secretary uh, and you know she's built her career from there and yeah. so she's got that loyalty there to the rands uh, and through managing the estate and um, that you know she's thinking of those little touches Absolutely. so I, I i quite like that little touch i have to uh, say and as you say i like the fact that she's not doing this out of the goodness of her heart she is doing it because she hates the Meachams particularly yeah. Ward um, and now she's got an opportunity to kind of get back at them which I, which I really like but it does bring up uh, a great future possibility for the character because Danny does still see her as that person that he knew before he left he knows she's a hardened lawyer but that's all he knows about her is that she's now a great lawyer and he what he knew about her in the past as being the, the, the low level uh, legal secretary so will there be a moment when he finds out about what she's been doing and the kind of lawyer that she is? You know, that, that creates a nice bit of a nice dynamic between those two characters for the future. Yeah. But I think with that, do we head onto our bloody hands and uh, another crossover that whilst we don't see her um, has has peppered this episode with um, Madame Gao and and Harold Meacham uh, meeting up. So. Before we get into this, I have a theory. I don't know if I'm right. I, I don't know whether it's story driven or the fact the actress may not have been around. Okay. I don't think that was the same actress for Madame Gao. Really? In the shadows. <laughs> it just looks slightly off. Yeah. I don't know whether it's just my imagination now, but she also has done other things this year. Right. Or last year when this was filming. So I'm potentially, it's like, Oh God, we've got a scheduling conflict. You know what? <laughs> we'll put her in the dark and just do it all black and white. We'll just shove her just... feet and her tapping the floor, and then when yeah. she comes back later, it'll be fine. <laughs> but I, I love exactly. that. I, I really liked that kind of introduction. It almost kind of mystical, like mm. she's not in the room. He can't see her. Like um, his sparring partner just disappears yeah. somewhere, and you're like going, okay. Uh, where did he go? Or, you know, he probably just legged it. He was so freaked out by it. And I just liked she's coming to say, you know, where did you go? What have you been doing? And, you know, this intrigue of the deal, you know, we've got the them purchasing or trying to purchase the pier mm-hmm. um, here. Uh, we have, you know, this relationship between Madame Gao and Harold Meacham. So this is like, you know, what's what's the pier for? What's the relationship? What's mm. the deal that we got? But um, speaking of theories, we do get confirmation that Ward did disobey Harold here rather than taking uh, Danny Rand to safety that he just got him beaten up yeah. by, by the inmates. Mm. Um, I, I kind of like that. And we do see hyperbaric Harold as well in his oxygen tank, um, snoozing away softly, um, which is interesting, like quite vulnerable, I yeah, thought. Yeah. Like I, I like that kind of vulnerability of him um, and him drinking a, a concoction of different liquids as well. So presumably... If we're we're thinking, has he been resurrected as well, mm. or was he just saved from from his illness? Um, I'm just wondering. That, you know, is this the hyperbaric chamber plus the the magical juice? Um, is that keeping him alive? Yeah, yeah. Or has he been in one of those urns like we saw with Electra? Did yeah. they chuck him in one of those? So it looked like it was a funeral tradition, but actually, I I think he's just eating kale. 
I hear it's a superfood. <laughs> it's a superfood. He, he's like inhaling smoked kale. He's drinking kale. It's just, uh, it's keeping him alive. I love That's it. it. Kale juice. Oh, God, that kale must juice. be disgusting. Oh. <laughs> like, everyone else has a shot. Would you like a shot of kale juice? No, I'm all right. He's like, yeah, just give me a glass me of a it. Glass. Well, if that's what keeps you alive, I'm, I'm, yeah. uh, you, know, you, you would do it. Um, I do like how scared he is of Madame Gao, though. You know, he does go down on his knees on glass in front of her. You know, that's that's a yeah. that's a moment of deep respect and deep fear really from him. i i really like that just the, the the voice the commanding voice of gao saying neil you know we have an agreement that you must honor she is frail looking but deadly <laughs> absolutely um, and commanding yeah um i love this character and like we haven't really seen her and um, it's just the voice and that kind of tapping of the cane yeah um really and, very cool and as always when we're watching these episodes we do put on the subtitles so that we can catch some of the uh some of the uh things that are being said that we may not may not understand um it was revealed immediately that this is Madame Gao as well, because the uh, the subtitles were preceded by Madame Gao says. Um, so yeah. <laughs> this was not hidden to us at all. We're not guessing this is Madame Gao. She did. It did come up on the subtitles on the screen. So hopefully we're not spoiling anything for anybody who isn't aware. Uh, Madame Gao was in uh, Daredevil season one and we knew she was coming back at some point. But great to see that this character is going to be really incorporated into Iron Fist. Definitely. Um, for me, I loved this scene. It was, um, or just in general, the the omnipresent heavy presence, if that makes sense, um, <laughs> of the the hand over Harold, like he is living in constant fear. Yeah, I don't know whether it's reverence or fear or a mixture of both. Like he he was straight away subservient so he understands her power or the hand's power what would we think he does and i'm wondering it's not like he's he's afraid like if this was say i don't know a a triad Mm -hmm. you he wouldn't be that there wouldn't be that level of fear because there wouldn't be that level of showmanship and kind of turning the lights off so i think he understands probably there is a level of supernatural yeah yeah something because of that in terms of like the supernatural the the turning off the lights the guy disappearing i'm leaning more towards rather than faking death he, he there is that resurrection in terms of what we were talking about yeah i think this is this is starting to confirm our theory from episode 1 and 2 that he has Woo-hoo. returned from the dead we might actually yeah. get one right i know and I, I think know, I, I think I even said when I said the theory, <laughs> this is going. To, this is this can't happen. This can't be the way they're going. But yes, it's, it yeah. seems to be coming to life. We'll see as the season goes on. Definitely. Yeah. But um, but yeah, great to see the character back in the show, and uh, and and it is great to see these connections with the other shows. This is the final defender, after all. So uh, I like that they're kind of connecting him in really quickly in episode three. Like it's very early on in the season to start connecting to all the other shows, but we have obviously Jerry here from Jessica Jones and Daredevil, and we now have Madame Gao from, from Daredevil. So it's only a matter of time before we see some connection to Luke Cage, right? I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, and we discussed it briefly in episode one and in our in our 101 top five about kind of Iron Fist. They're tying the other three shows to this quite tightly quite early on. So people who have watched Daredevil and are enjoying Daredevil and aware of Daredevil, 
didn't really care for Iron Fist. They've they're into episode three, and they're like, "Oh, okay, now I, I there's a connection there. I, I know, I understand. It. It's going to make me watch more." Yeah, yeah. It's that's not a negative. I'm trying. To, it probably sounds negative, but it's not what I'm trying to say. It's yeah. just more we we talk about it in terms of the MCU or the, the Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they they they're world building, and mm-hmm. that's the thing I need to. I always forget in terms of. I, I give out about oh why did you do this or like a lot of my thing is like over exposition or tropes etc. But they are world building and mm-hmm. that is they are four seasons deep into a world that they're trying to also tie to a cinematic world. Mm-hmm. So they need the sprinkling of even Easter eggs that keep us comic book fans happy, but more they need to world build and bring these characters from the other shows so that. Like, I would not be surprised. I, I, we, you made the joke before about uh, when we were in the insane asylum and about having um, the Mandarin Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Like, I think that's what stuff they'll need to start doing, either if not soon or soonish, to again bump the the, the Netflix universe almost to par with the cinematic. So, like, I know they've always said, well, we probably won't do this. Like, you're not going to have Tony Stark walk in. Yeah. But I think on Defenders, you actually may. You could. Yeah, you could, definitely. It it is the big stunt show, obviously, the Defenders, having four different TV series crossover in full uh, full light with everybody joined together. That's a huge thing to to accomplish and a huge thing to do. Um, But I think one of the reasons why they've said they don't want to cross over with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is because they just can't see... A kid who's going to see Captain America Winter Soldier at 10 years old, they don't want them to watch something like Jessica Jones uh, because it's a series that's not for them. It's not it's not made for them. So if they do any kind of crossovers with those characters from the normal Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, that would be like saying to a kid, this is OK for you to watch it. So uh, the, the shows are extremely violent, obviously, and very different from uh, much more adult than the movies. Absolutely. And I think actually just coming back to... Um Chris's point about world world building. Mm. The challenge of this series as well is that it's also, you know, not to get too extra dimensional or mystical on it, but <laughs> it, it it does have to build a world within a world because we know New York through the previous um, series. Yeah. But this is also, not only does it have to provide another angle on New York, which is from um, a less of a street level, uh, obviously from a billionaire's point of view to that extent. Yeah. It's also got to introduce the mystical city of Kunlun, or it, it, it's it's ever present at the back there. There's a challenge there because there has to be some acknowledgement of that. And I'm wondering, you know, in the same way that we got that flashback episode of Luke Cage, will we get this entire episode of, of looking at his time in Kunlun? So far, I think we're, you know, we're getting it through particular snapshots um, of conversations that he has, whether it's with Colleen Wing or when he, you know, falls asleep or he has one of those moments where it starts to resonate with him and we get those lines and he he gets his mind, his thoughts get transported to that um, tragic uh, moment, you know? Yeah, they're definitely drip feeding the whole concept of uh, of Kunlun at the moment. There seems to be 
seems to be in the background. Yes, there's definitely conversations. Like we've talked about our talked about on our first two points, the crossover characters. Uh, next point really is going to be Colleen and Danny, right? The inner energy discussion between those two characters. It's good to talk about those two characters together and what where their discussion came from. And it showed off a little bit of the power of the Iron Fist, a little bit of, of the training that Danny received. Um, it, there were moves there that he was showing Colleen that she'd never seen before. So uh, showing the different training style that he would have received from the monks of Kunlun. Yeah, I love that. The, the inner energy, the inner force moves. He's saying, you're all you're all extrovert with your your energy and physicality bring it in and just that fluidity of movement that he does and effectively he gives colleen wing a master class uh right in front of one of her protégés daryl who's like mm-hmm. kind of mesmerized i think at uh at, at what he is able to to do to colleen and um, like she's throwing everything at him like yeah. it's really good and i just thought this was a really nice little touch yeah, and I know we commented on episode one that or you were commenting on episode one that you really wanted to see the two of them punch each other as as we all did, go go at each other. They're both martial artists, so you know you want to see them test it out. I'm kind of happy now that they held it back for the three episodes because it's kind of good to see. We've seen Colleen Wing, we've seen her power now, we've seen a bit of a bit of Iron Fist at the end of episode two. So seeing the two of them have this kind of playful battle in the dojo, I think was it, it's a good idea to hold something like that, that back. And it worked really well. I loved the, I really loved the line, uh, the one that smelled like toe fungus, uh, when, uh, <laughs> when, when him and Colleen are talking about the, the attackers that, mm-hmm. that, that came into, um, to, into her dojo. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really also very interesting that, that Danny is treating this like a real dojo and Colleen is still thinking of this as her business. You know, this is how she makes money. She trains, uh, poor kids who've been beaten up uh, at school how to how to learn kung fu and he's kind of thinking of it as no no the way i way i was obviously trained was with a bit of a beating uh, to get me to learn all of these steps and he gives a bit of a beat down to one of the uh one of yeah. the disrespectful uh students of uh, you, you've got to love a uh, a good old classic fart joke um <laughs> you, you really do um it, it, it's what schools and, and you know after school classes or community groups like like this you know you've got to have a good old classic fart joke and i thought that was hilarious that he's he's kind of crouching down and you just get the raspberry from but then he beats on the beaten kids Um, and in fact we also see him getting beaten on by the monks with sticks Mm -hmm. like presumably he did something wrong like he's he's had a harsh time of it in Kunlun it's not just a, a, a stroll in in the park kind of thing you know yeah. he, he's he's had it tough there and he expects that discipline from others so what does he say to Colleen he says to her about the dojo is this a kindergarten or are you training warriors and she's kind of like eh, neither um, <laughs> that's that's two very extreme things that you know I'm doing neither I'm teaching them how to do how to do martial arts it's yeah. a different thing crouching tiger farting pants <laughs> um but uh yeah that's cool yeah, no, I, I love the scene. I, I, I think more from the, the fart jokes, which, uh, as John is well aware, I, I, I love my my um, gaseous humour. Um, <laughs> but more so that this gave me a quick glimpse at two masters. Mm-hmm. And what I'm imagining, I don't know when, almost, let's say, like, episode 10 13 or the 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 second half the second arc mm-hmm. when they they potentially are fighting the hand 
and it's a room full of ninjas, then back to back. And you remember those some of the in some like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, some of the old seventies kung fu films mm-hmm. where you'd always have the two protagonists or the protagonist and his best friend back to back fighting like a circle army of bad guys. Oh yes. Oh, and they yes. would like rolling over each other's backs and hooking each other and like one would hold one down and the other would run a, a ring around, literally in a ring, around kicking people in the face. Yes. I can see that from their fluid movements. Absolutely. From the fight. And that's where I'm more like, okay, this potentially is a precursor to them. They now, he understands her level. She now, more importantly, understands his. Absolutely. And that he's not a, he's not a, a homeless guy who has a shave. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. it's, he's it's not some now, preppy billionaire who 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 plays at kung fu because yes. he has nothing else to do with his life. He's a properly trained yeah. martial artist, yeah. and it also answers the question from from episode two, where he did challenge the master of the dojo to a battle. He wins this battle, right? So technically, now he is the master of the dojo. If you were to respect the rules, yeah, definitely. Is, is that how it works, or is it just you must challenge them and that's it? But anyway, they did say that he is. That's how it always works in video games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You, it's like it's like in Pokemon. You go train, you be, defeat the trainer of the gym, and then you become. And then you become the trainer of the gym. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> there, there can be. It's more Highlander. There can be only one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut joke. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it was more the precursor that I liked. I think that's kind of more why I was excited about the fight. It was a quick. It was very. A quick fight, and yeah. it showed them. But this kind of brings me on to our next point, which was having Colleen and seeing what she was capable of, and then absolutely the cage fight. Oh yes, yeah, and and the the cheetah punch as well that he's taught her. She she uses to get out of a a really tricky situation, which mm-hmm. was cool. I like that she kind of took on board her loss to him in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's definitely kind of cool to see the master of the dojo learning from another master and, and taking that into into action. It's a very it's a very odd scene, obviously, because we did have the discussion with Daryl earlier on where he says, I've got family to support. So I'm doing these cage fights. She says that's completely disrespectful. You've you've ruined your reputation with me. And there doesn't seem to be an interim scene between that happening and her going to the cage fights for the first time to explain why she does. Do you know what I mean? It felt like she needed to have, I know this is a this is definitely a trope, I'm glad they didn't do it, but something like her looking at all of her bills and all of the debt that yep. she's in, just to show the drive as to why she went to the cage fight. It almost felt like she completely admonished this kid for doing it and then went, that's a great idea, I could make a ton of money <laughs> if I do that, and then walked out the door. It, it felt like a bit of a weird moment for Colleen, but I'm glad they did it. God, the, the cage fight scene is fantastic and her announcing herself as the daughter of the dragon as she walks in giving herself her own her own superhero name almost uh it's a great moment yeah and there's no holds barred uh with the the punching i mean she she took a few as well from from that meathead and she gave as good as she got and and more like it was really really cool and i think definitely i love like you say chris just that from her interaction with danny you see that he's got you know a skill set that surpasses hers but you see that she's also hugely 
talented and proficient because her skill set is equally good. She's just not been in a in a mystical city of of Kunlun yeah. in that sense. Yeah, and I, I love that you get to see her expertise and her qualities uh, come out through this cage fight by effectively taking down a a a a fighter who, on the face of it, is obviously so much bigger. Yeah, it is that kind of aspect of float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. You know, mm-hmm. it really. It is great seeing that. Yeah, a nice little reference there from from Rusty, the uh, the fighter that's up against him when she's dodging the punches from him. He says, "Cut the Floyd Merriweather crap." Uh, Floyd Merry- Merriweather was a boxer who was who was up against Muhammad Ali, and that's what he was known for was kind of dodging the punches. So a nice little uh, nice little reference to to a, to a boxing side as well. So very cool. I'm completely in agreement with you, Derek, on this. Mm-hmm. They missed the exposition of yeah. why she was doing it. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, okay. And like, I know you can connect the dots. Like, obviously, you yeah. know, you know, she's she's struggling, but it's just that little moment of why did she specifically choose to do it after admonishing but, somebody else for doing it? But wasn't it done after the fight where she gets the rolled up pile of, of notes and it, like you you see that uh, as she collects her takings from it, and so okay, whilst you're watching her do this, you yeah. see that th- there's been no for exposition on yeah. that except for that conversation with daryl where she's saying you can't fight for money we know she's in financial trouble i i mean i think yeah it would have been maybe too much of a trope or on the nose whereas you actually kind of get it um after the fact by the fact that um the the guy who's organizing the fight gives her a, a role of, of notes and, oh, no, and no, she I, puts it in as i say as an audience member you yeah. definitely know why she's doing it but it's the fact that she admonishes somebody for doing it and says, this will affect your character. You won't be able to get any further in your career. I thought I was going to be able to recommend you to go to college because of this. And then she walks straight to the cage fight and goes cage fighting. Yeah. That that little jump between those two things is a do, is a do what I say, don't do what I do kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Step, but she doesn't mention it at all. Desperate times, desperate measures. See, I think it would have been easier if... She went there to shut it down, almost. Mm. And then if they had just shown her seeing the uh, the amount of money that the uh, a, a winner got, mm-hmm. like if they had just shown the, the, the promoter give um, one of the other winners a, a fistful of dollars. Yes, yeah. Then they could have just shown her go, well, I do need that. Or she went to tear the the younger kid away or bring him away. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, you need this too. Like a short 20 to 30 second scene would have just connected the dots more for a lot. And I think I'm, I'm more signing with Derek on this in that they're, they're giving credits to the audience saying you, you can connect the dots. You're Good. fine. That's brilliant. But in the old adage about business, treat your user like a child, because sometimes you need to fully explain everything to them. Ah, uh, no, we're not. I'm not. We're not that bad. I'm certainly not saying that. I just, I just do feel that we needed a little bit of an explanation as to why she would have such a change of heart from a stated moment. So. I'm hoping this is going to come back in a future episode where she does explain why she made this decision to go against her character because she does seem to be a very respectable citizen as a as a master in this dojo she seems to be seems to be getting a lot of respect from the kids that she's training and by doing this she's gone completely against 
what she's told them to do. So, I yeah. think, though, as well, maybe there's another angle to this, that it's not just about the money. Okay, it's a nice side effect, but that she wants to. She lives for this martial art. She wants to fight. She wants to take it out of the dojo and put it into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that, you know, it it's it's a thing that is almost like a drug to her that she can do this. I don't mean that it is. I just mean that this is what she is training for and really? that that would link in to joining up with Danny Rand uh, because it's applying all the, the teaching, all the skills. Yeah. I mean, there is part of me that feels that the the students that she's working with there is an element of is she going through the motions yeah so that this becomes a benefit in two ways in that she's able to apply her skill fight mm-hmm. and she gets the money afterwards and uh, i i can kind of get the idea of maybe that she goes there as you say chris to shut it down and then kind of gets caught up in the atmosphere yeah. of, of it all or sees the money um but i'm also wondering is it is it also about the the use and being able to use and the adrenaline rush of using her skill in an actual fight yeah, yeah i mean no. actually like a fight the fight club yeah <laughs> that kind of element um and that ultimately leads her to wanting to work with danny rand in another fight i could see that yeah it's a good it's a good point and I, again i'm hoping that we're going to come back to this in the future the scene itself was great i loved seeing this this uh this moment where she shows that she is a completely viable powerful character by just taking out this guy rusty who you just assume is not going to be is, is is going to be the winner because of his size because of his strength and because he's obviously a seasoned veteran of these types of fights and this is her first ever one you know um but yeah, fantastic that she was able to use what Danny taught her to uh, to take him out. And just, just to kind of round out this point, the daughter of the dragon, mm-hmm. who, who wants to take that point first, though, or the significance? You can take okay, it. Okay, I'll take it. Okay, okay. So um, for listeners who aren't aware, the daughter of the dragon comes from the, the actual piece where she, it, it's the name given to herself and Misty Knight in the comic books. Right. It's the, their team name. Uh, or if you want to call it that, it was based on a slight from uh, the Steel Serpent. Mm-hmm. He he said in a tongue in cheek way as after they had after they had beaten him up, right? Um, and you are the daughters of the dragon, yeah, or something along those lines. Cool. And um, it's actually all the way back in. 1977 right so very early uh, on the yeah, very early of, on of missing yeah. uh, Colleen and they it was done in a way and now this is this is where you kind of see you kind of it, it, it's always the the who who said what first uh-huh. um some people say it was done as a slight to always make them supporting characters and um, that they were only the daughters of the dragon not the dragon themselves okay and that they would forever be um the supporting characters to their two respective um, stars being Iron Fist and Paraman or the, the Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of foreshadowed them when the Paraman and Iron Fist series started, they became supporting characters there. Right, right. Interesting. Um, and actually something we should have maybe potentially said in one of our kind of extra reads, there was a lovely series with Colleen and Misty called Daughters of the Dragon in it was about 2007, 2008. 
there was a series there. It was really very cool. author. It was based on that kind of authority, Mark Miller style. Right. Yeah. Of, yeah. Very cool. It's that kind of very more realistic kind of style. And um, here's hope. And I know you talked about about having Colleen and uh, and Danny fight back to back. Here's hoping we get Misty and oh, Colleen awesome. Wing fighting back to back at some point. That will be defenders, <laughs> I bet you. I Hopefully. bet you anything, yeah. Hopefully. I think it's time for our final point. Yep. We have talked about the kind of hero moment for Colleen Wing, obviously, in the episode. We get Danny's first proper hero moment in this episode as he goes to the hospital to go and pick up his the final piece of evidence to show that he is Danny Rand. Every single piece of evidence that could possibly exist seems to have been either destroyed or taken away. Yeah, uh, snaffled up by Ward. As we find out, yeah, yeah by, by Ward and his gigantic file of <laughs> of Danny Rand exists uh, stamped on the front of it. Um, yes, he goes to the goes to the hospital to go and pick up his his x-ray from when he fell off his skateboard yeah. as a kid, yeah. is it, is it? or off his bike as a kid. Um, yeah. yeah. So we finally see heroic Danny Rand. Yeah, I love that he's got this hero moment where he rescues the 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 records lady who's been like knocked out by Ward's hired thug who's yeah. sent to go and find and destroy all that. Uh, but he saves her from uh, the burning uh, record archive, and, and there's a nice little bit of of scrapping between him and this guy as well. And I love his I love the way he shoots through. Th- the shelves of the storage room to and through the boxes to to knock uh, the guy off his feet. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. Um, and and we do see his iron fist again glowing. I just love that 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 look where you get the yellow glow coming onto his face. Um, really cool. Really cool, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it's great to see his first hero moment i was actually thinking oh are we gonna see um you know night nurse here are we are we gonna get hundred just because we had kind of got the voice of gao we had j money mm-hmm. all of these connections beginning to come through i i kind of thought that this was where we were going to see claire temple it's one. it's one of those moments that you're expecting claire temple to be standing outside the burning records office going not again will people stop destroying our hospital <laughs> yeah definitely uh, that, that, that would have been funny it would have been better if she was the one who was knocked out. That would have been pretty cool. She was. She she can't be a nurse anymore. She she got a clerical, a clerical job, and that that's her now. That would have been brilliant. That's right. We never actually saw the face of the records clerk that got knocked no, out. No, we no. didn't. So, so it actually could be Claire. We it comes back to check on her in episode five or episode six or something, and we find out that that actually was Claire. Yeah, we'll time. have to go back and have a quick uh, look to see. If we can make out Claire Temple, that would be quite cool. Be quite cool. You would have thought there would have been like uh, some kerfuffle straight after he runs out of an exploding room. Uh-huh. It's like people in a hospital going, "What's that smell of smoke?" <laughs> yeah, and like there, there was a large explosion. Mm-hmm. Let's go check it out. Oh, Mister Security Guard, I'm sorry. Uh, I just saved this person. You can you go capture that guy? I'd like no. So. Yeah, okay. That's enough of that. I should say, I did love this scene part. There was just that one particular bit I was like, really? Where Danny jumps through the boxes? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I just thought it was really weird. I was like, I know how heavy some of those boxes are. <laughs> I, you know? I get that. Yeah, he's just like, they flew away. And I was like, really? He's a okay. very powerful Kung they, Fu master. They sounded pretty <laughs> empty. Yeah, I must say it, but I, I loved the kind of visual of him coming and bursting through the 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 boxes with both feet mm-hmm. to to knock the guy off. But yeah, when they went flying, it was kind of like 
They sound like they're empty when they hit the floor. Yeah. <laughs> not so packed with medical good. records. Yeah. Yeah. But uh I did I did like that and of course like just the scrap over the lighter and Ward really had better be um covering his tracks really well here because I mean setting fire to a medical records in a hospital yeah. like that's a pretty I mean maybe that wasn't the intention, but to for for his hired thug to go down that route and given what might happen, that could have been really serious. Oh it was de- I was I would think it was definitely the intention rather than just removing that one x-ray to have a have a fire there to destroy records so that that's a great cover-up for the fact that you were just trying to destroy one. You destroy the entire records room. But the records clerk was in there when the guy was starting to set fire to the place. So was he aiming to kill somebody as well? Was Ward going that far that he would have killed somebody to protect the company? I think that's the point. I think that's what he was going to do. Look, he wanted to kill Danny in episode one. When he sent the thugs into Chinatown mm-hmm. with, against Danny yeah. with guns. Absolutely. And in but killing t- Danny is one thing. Killing an innocent bystander, I think, is a different kind of a different kind of bad. Here, well, well Ward, Ward has got that loose cannon mm-hmm. uh, uh, aspect about him. He disobeyed his dad. And actually, yeah, he has now tried to kill Danny uh, uh, in the first three episodes. Yeah. Uh, the Chinatown um, Festival... We had um, in the psychiatric hospital uh-huh. and now in in the records office. And that brief uh, flashback to when, um, like, Danny, at, all the young Danny, young Joy and young uh, Ward are, are sat around playing Monopoly. Mm. Like, he, that is becoming a larger scene now in my own mind because, like, he treats Danny really, really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he is bullying him and, and all that. But it's like, I would say Ward has total resentment uh, on, on Danny. Without a doubt. Uh, whether it's to do with his closer friendship with Joy, uh, whether it's just because, for whatever reason it might be, but, like, you know, so are we going to see another attempt on his life in, in episode four? Well, it looks like Ward won't need to do anything. It looks like gravity may be what is going to kill Danny by the end of this episode. He is he is falling from uh, quite a high story building. Um, you know, Spider I... Danny, Spider Danny <laughs> does whatever. Oh wait, <laughs> I know nope. that he hasn't got the ability to stick to walls. Probably not a good thing to scale a skyscraper on the outside. It was pretty cool. It's oh, very yeah. it's very James Bondy. It's very Spider Manny, yes, but um but yeah, I don't think that was the greatest of ideas. It's a very high up building. Well certainly after getting pushed out the window. I'm I'm glad it wasn't a comedy one where the window opened outwards <laughs> and yeah. uh, and, and he fell. And of course we'll have to wait to see quite where he lands. Will he land on his feet, on his head, on his back, mm-hmm. or on his fists? Uh, it'll be interesting to see now what happens to um, a falling Danny down off from the the penthouse. But yeah. um, how amazing would it have been if someone did actually open a window out and he's just there scaling? Like remember the old sex sixties Batman, <laughs> Batman. Yeah. commissioner would point his head out there, just kind of scaling up, uh-huh. and he'd be like, "Nothing to see here." <laughs> da, 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 da. That would be awesome. Like, yeah, like they could have just brought a, a bit of levity there. Or with the rope, and it's obviously on a flat surface. But... <laughs> the rope is just lying on top of the building, and you're yeah. like, 
wait, I know how this is done. That would have been a nice little <laughs> shout out to DC for, for Marvel Netflix, definitely. Well, those are our top five points about the episode. We got a couple of notes, obviously, but absolutely, usual, uh, just some smaller things that we picked up. Through oh, the episode. Some, some of them are quite big, though, really. In fairness, there is the, the big question of. Did Joy give Danny the bowl? Of course, you know, and in fact, just leading into that whole scene in the boardroom, you know, I like it's it's such the look that Ward gives her as the bowl is passed from uh, from J Money across to Joy and to Ward, and the satisfaction that that brings to to Jerry, I just really, really thought was excellent. and I mean, it it would seem that Ward thinks that she gave him or gave Jerry the bowl, and it's obviously got the little thumbprint. It's all been matched uh, mm-hmm. and all that. I thought he was going to try and smash it or something. <laughs> it is actually because I was I was thinking right. If you have a clay bowl that you've made yourself with your own hands years ago, maybe it's many years ago, but you'd assume there's things like hair and DNA that are left behind when you're when you're making something like that. I thought it would be more than just a fingerprint. Because, yeah, my reaction when they said it was one perfectly matched fingerprint, we have it sorted, that that bowl right there in your hands, Ward, is worth a billion dollars. You know, you were expecting just to go, ha ha, smash. And that's, yeah. all right, what, what, about, what else have you got? You know? No, but all the work, you see, this is where Jerry is good. Yeah. All of it was done beforehand. Of course, of she course. Didn't, she no longer needed the bowl and mm-hmm. such. Plus, they could have done the Batman thing where they re- uh, construct it from from a model, you true, know, like true. like the the bullet fragments mm-hmm. from Dark Knight. Yeah, I just thought this was really good, and uh, like Joy is becoming quite difficult to read for mm-hmm. me. Um, it's like she's conflicted about her allegiance to to the company and also her sort of nightmarish brother. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, she had that loyalty to Danny as kids, and she does think there's you know, similarities there. She, she obviously, she, the, the M&Ms, she, she's, I think, fairly clear that it's him, yet she's still acting against him. Mm-hmm. But then she gives Jerry the bowl, or does she? So it's kind of interesting. And even just the work she does to secure the peer that uh, Rand Enterprises has been after as well. Going into the hospital, like, actually, I thought that was a, a level of smartness from a business perspective, but coldness with regards to the fact that they can buy um, off the doctors, the hospital, or to, to get and acquire this kidney or liver for Raj Patel's son or nephew or, you know, whoever it was. Like, that's a pretty sly thing to do. So, like, Joy has become quite an interesting character for me mm-hmm. because she she's kind of hovering around on whether she wants to be good and open and, and sort of that friend with Danny, but at the same time closed and hostile and, and a bit nefarious, really. Yeah. Like that's, that's next-level negotiation techniques. You know, add an extra 10% on it, says, says Harold, when... The deal is yeah. still being rejected. She doesn't add just an extra 10% in money terms. She adds the life of your nephew. Yeah, we she, could make sure your nephew survives if you do this. She goes That's above big. and beyond what was maybe required. And like I'm kind of there thinking, okay, in essence, it's kind, but it's harsh. Yeah, There's other people who maybe aren't 
billionaires Absolutely. who are you know should have first dibs on this but as we learned from south park money cures all john money cures all that um, is true and i think raj patel actually thought he was going to a strip club that night <laughs> you know yeah. you're gonna have the best night of your life you know and he loads himself up on champagne in the car you know i think he wasn't expecting anything like that but he, she was absolutely right her description was was pretty much correct well i have to say now i was thinking what is going on here mm-hmm. <laughs> why yeah, are they like, going like, to the uh... hospital but then i just thought like just the breadth of what she was doing i was like wow Mm -hmm. like okay you have another deeper darker level to you than than what we're seeing yeah so kind of really interesting absolutely kind of almost like a point six actually Uh, (laughs) sorry about that that's all right that sometimes happens sometimes happens you can't always fit it to a a concise five points the big one for me for this episode was danny gets a haircut and gets some new clothes in this episode finally but of course what does he forget to do Bloody shave, man. You're not a hipster. (laughs) You're in corporate business. You need to shave. Even the haircut was questionable now. It was like <laughs> he just he just shaved the beard, really. He trimmed the beard. Trimmed the beard, yeah. yeah. And he kind of got some new threads, thank care of Jerry. Would he not have like kind of just like maybe put it into a bit more of a crew cut? If he's gonna go hipster, go all the way. Mm-hmm. You gotta go you can't go one or the other. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I have to say, congratulations to the costume designer for this episode. The choice of clothes for Danny Rand. The first time he's buying his own suit, effectively. He was 10, remember, when he left. So he would never have had the opportunity to buy the suit. I loved the costume. If you saw it, if you saw it put together. So it's a it's a shirt, a tie, a jumper, a sports coat. <laughs> like He's kind of like, all of these things are adult things. I'll buy them all and throw them on. You know, <laughs> Now I'm in the adult world. I'm in yeah. corporate America, you know. Really liked it. Not He didn't go out and go and buy himself, you know, a beautiful Armani suit, which he could have bought the shop full of. Um, he buys himself these random things and sticks them all together it makes total sense for danny's character really good choices from uh, from the costume designer i think for this episode. definitely yeah. yeah and the runners don't forget the runners yeah, oh yeah. it's a suit and runners of course which is the best part yeah very cool i've always wanted to rock that never really had the balls to do it yeah i think only Dan- i think only david tennant can rock the pinstripe suit and the and the. Uh, I wouldn't runners. go pinstripe now, but that was, I, his, I, that was his. I know it was. Fish, I know so. it was. But I, I, yeah, I wouldn't go pinstripe. But I, I, I kind of, I wouldn't mind being able to rock that. <laughs> Chris, have you got any more notes? I do. So I have two. The first one is: Does Danny have this new superpower now, where he has super hearing, mm. where he's listening to Ward through a closed, locked office door? So unless Ward is being like almost shouting this uh-huh. you're like how did he hear that <laughs> you know there is actually this really funny kind of uh, theory about how unrealistic tv shows and movies really are with people having conversations in the same room as other people and not being able to hear them you know um, so i actually think this is reasonably realistic if you were beside a wooden door and someone's talking on the phone, you'd absolutely be able to hear the conversation. But we see it so often in TV shows that they close the door behind them and it's like as if they're in a hyperbolic chamber. Um, so you cannot hear outside it, you know. Um, so I, I, I don't know whether it's, a, whether it's a superpower. He definitely has focus, so it's it's a possibility. We may see that come up in the, in the future. But yeah, interesting. <laughs> and then uh, basically it's the Kung Fu move name of the episode. Yes. Rolling Thunder Cannon Punch. Mm-hmm. And then the actual fact that we got electric cheetah punch in the episode yeah. being one of the main, I I I don't know anymore. <laughs> I I am at a loss. 
I I I think they just they took the name of moves mm-hmm. versus actually putting the moves in there. I'm just like, yeah, I, I yeah. It's like, very you, difficult to Google search seventies kung fu movies that may have used the term Rolling Thunder Cannon Punch in them. It's really difficult to catch them yeah. because a lot of the 70s movies are obviously from uh, from China and from, from Japan. And they, obviously the titles are in Mandarin or, you know, or in a different language completely. So while this may be something that is a factor or a main factor in a very popular 70s movie, we'd never catch it because the subtitles that were that were put into them were never put up on Google yet. So they should get on that so it'll be, be easier for us. <laughs> well, and also when you when you Google Rolling Thunder Cannon Punch, you just get the name of this episode of and the announcements. <laughs> and you're like, well, yeah, I know that. I, I want to know what's before that. Yeah. And then when you try to do, do image search, you're like, nope, no, no, no. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah. So very difficult, very difficult. We'll have to try and see if we can get a, get an interview with Scott Book and just make him explain to us what uh, what each individual episode title means. Absolutely. And he's just going to come back saying, well, we took four words and put them together and it sounded kung fu move. But we did say in episode one, listeners, this one we'd love to leave open to you. You come back to us with, uh, with uh, in feedback if you know more of these than we do. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So let's close out our episode the way we always do. Chris, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? Season one, episode three, Rolling Thunder Cannon Punch. I was not expecting to go first. I do. I do really defend this. I think, as I said at the very beginning, if we imagine the whole series as a pacing, as a one giant episode and it's pacing, it is ramping up. Mm -hmm. And I think... The payoff, or the payoffs are slowly happening, um, in a good way. Like we're getting exposition in the characters, we're getting a deeper understanding, we're getting the characters, the the introduction of characters that we knew were coming, um, and that we like they couldn't have just brought Jerry Hogarth in at the beginning. Carrie Ann Moss would have made no sense in episode one. No, it wouldn't have made sense to have Jerry in from that part. So I think the pacing now is happening at a better uh in a better way. Mm-hmm. The 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 introductions of of well the shadowy hand and Madame Gao. The viciousness maybe is wrong word of Colleen. Mm. The, the 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 ferocity almost yeah. the, the the fierceness of the, the fighting that she has. And, of course, we have the immortal hospital fist. <laughs> um, so I was quite happy with that part. Um, so I think, yes, I, I do defend this episode. It's getting better, and I think that's the thing I'm happy about. Absolutely. If, if we get the mid-series slump, which we always seem to get in these episodes or these series... I don't think, and that may come later on now, which I'm happy about, because it took a while. They're building it up. Yeah, I'm hoping we got the mid-season slump in episode one, (laughs) (laughs) to be honest, so we don't see it again. John, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? I do defend this episode of Iron Fist. Um, I really enjoyed this. I'm giving this four toe fungi out of five (laughs) sweaty feet uh, to the front. Um, Yeah, I have to say, Jerry... Fantastic seeing her back on the 
on the Marvel Netflix series uh, here. I loved her interaction with uh, Danny Rand. It just made so much sense to me and it felt really natural. Um, I loved the development of, of Colleen Wing, this kind of tight situation that she finds herself in. You know, she, she's part uh, martial arts teacher, uh, part community helper, but also part broke um financially struggling mm-hmm. and, and I, I do wonder whether she also is a person made for fighting like she, she wants to is that part of her uh motivation to go to the the fight club and do this despite sort of admonishing her student daryl for doing the same um I think Joy is becoming much more complex, um, like really conflicted about mm. her loyalties, which I'm, I'm enjoying. Um, I like the thing that we discussed here, this idea that Ward really has tried to kill Danny in all the first three uh, episodes, which is really good. Um, and ultimately, again, seeing Gao and Harold together, this was really great. I, I loved the, the kind of off-camera aspect to how Gao was brought in here very otherworldly in a sense and, and I like the opening with the hyperbaric chamber, you know. Is Harold reborn uh, as Allah the Hand or was he saved from death? You know, mm. what what's the distinction here? Really um, enjoyed that. So yeah, for me this was a really uh, strong episode, really building on, on maybe from the slow start of episode one, but now like two and three, I've really enjoyed. Uh, this is building really nicely and, and I think quite solidly as well. So yeah, definitely defend this episode. So Derek, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? It's a three for, yes, I do defend this episode of Iron Fist. Absolutely. This is a great one to, by bringing all of the other characters from other shows in, obviously Madame Gown and, uh, and Jerry, um, to bring them into this show, making this feel more part of the Defenders universe now. Uh, this is where we're, where we're getting it, and we're getting it a lot earlier than I thought. We're also getting some great moments with the characters that we've t- just met over the course of the last two episodes. The hospital scene with Danny, the fight club with, with Colleen, uh, Joy's moment where she's turning on Ward, all of Ward's controlling nature, trying to uh, trying to take, out, take Danny and trying to take him down. Um, loads of stuff there. And Harold, obviously. Another another classic character in the Netflix Marvel universe. I'm really enjoying every interaction, every time he's on screen as well. Really enjoying David Wenham and the show. Uh, yep, love this episode. Really enjoyed it. Looking forward to the next episode. But before we get there, take us time to go on to a little bit of feedback. So our first piece of feedback comes from our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. We have a little spoiler posted up there for episode one. And now the people are get, finally getting to see the episodes. They're popping in their, their thoughts. So uh, Ronaldo starts us off with what a great opening sequence gets you in the mood for a Kung Fu driven show. Love it. First episode over now. I think it was a solid way to introduce the characters. Thought at first the meeting between Danny and the Meachams. Danny could have told them more historic event that they shared. He later went on to do that separately with Joy and then with Ward. I keep telling myself that Danny is essentially a monk and I like how he doesn't engage in violence unless he needs to. Yeah, yeah that's a really good point, Ronaldo. It's, it's one of the one of the really interesting things about Iron Fist. He is there trying to talk people around before he has to use the fists. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's one of the um the great aspects about this character that he's both balanced in a piece but if he needs to he has to get his chi on and he's gotta uh bring out the guns 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, um, so absolutely. And that idea anyway of, of being a warrior monk and, and, and that link with Buddhism, um, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. a really, uh, interesting kind of balance there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Ronaldo goes on to say, uh, did we get our first glimpse of Danny using chi? I loved how he placated Joy's dog by praying. In the comics, I think he's able to calm crowds, so it was good to see him using it on guard dog. Um, Claire Laffer responds with, I laughed so hard at that dog scene. We knew you would, Claire. We can't, we're so happy you've been able to see that episode and obviously our, our discussion about that in episode one. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. That is, that is what we talked about. Do love the idea that he's able to calm animals with his presence, with his, with his chi absolutely we have also put up the um and replicated the the doggy danny gif of him about to chase after uh the axe um that's thrown <laughs> at him along the corridor but yeah i mean um definitely seeing a little bit of his power there um and of course yeah i think i was probably quite i wasn't down on the opening sequence i actually really loved the music i loved the sequence that there is part of me that wishes um the there was a some more green and yellow uh, sparks and uh, in the titles, but now of course I'm I think I'm probably going to go crazy and find myself in, in Birch Psychiatric Hospital as well because I keep now thinking that there is more yellow sparks coming, like I was kind of hoping there would be. So I'm yeah, yeah I think I'm beginning to hallucinate. <laughs> Always happens when you watch something a lot. Uh, so I'm in agreement here with John. I, I actually am noticing more. And I, I, I think <laughs> potentially there is, but I know there's not. I think it's because we're watching it on a bigger screen than we than we were able to when we were watching the screeners. I think that must be what it is. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's probably it. Um, so for me, I, I said this that I wasn't a huge fan of the, the intro um, on our first episode. Um, three episodes or two episodes additionally now, I'm actually liking it more and more. It grows on you. Yeah. It, it, it is like a, 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 a large amount of ink seeping over you. <laughs> it, like, it just it, it embeds yourself itself in you. I am constantly humming it and going, what's that tune from? Oh, yeah, Iron Fist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, every now and again, I do notice myself that. So I think, yes, it, it, while I, I I didn't dislike it, I, just, it wasn't, I wasn't huge on it, I think, in the first episode. Um, it is growing on me, and it's it, it's a good thing. In terms of Danny, Do- Danny and the Dog, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked that scene. I, I, it was a bit... It was okay. I want to see more, like Danny versus 20 dogs. Well, Danny <laughs> runs through a scrapyard, calms all the attack dogs, and then sends them after the bad guys. Nice. That's the kind of way I want to see. The, I suppose it was good for an opening. It shows sets up some powers, so let's see where he takes it. Absolutely. I definitely want to see him, yeah, up against 20 members of the hand. Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, a little bit of feedback from Michael Ward. He, he popped in his, his uh, full in the moment thoughts so it looks like he was typing them while he was watching the episode really quickly so but one of the ones that jumped out for him about episode one which we didn't catch is the guardians of the galaxy type call out there because danny's carrying an old school ipod just like in guardians of the galaxy that star lord is carrying his walkman from the 80s so nice little touch there good catch michael absolutely i did not put that together That's, uh, that's pretty cool thanks so much for your feedback on the episodes Again, you can obviously uh, join the group. Just go to Defenders TV Podcast, search that on Facebook. There's also, you can contact us and leave feedback through email. Uh, just go to feedback at defenders tv podcast.com 
or leave a voicemail over on our website at defenderstvpodcast.com. And of course, um, we love to hear your thoughts and comments on the show. Uh, and so keep them sending in. And remember for voicemail, uh, feedback, there is the competition. All those who leave a voicemail feedback will be entered into a draw for a prize a marvel prize a marvel prize which a, we know but we will share we will a, share soon in a later episode a marvelous prize mm-hmm. in fact yes <laughs> a marvelous marvel prize you say mm-hmm. whatever could wow it be? yes and which is also fabulous and amazing so a fabulous marvel marvel a fabulous Marvelous Marvel prize. Okay, this is starting to become a tongue twister. Stop adding adjectives. I think we can't. We can't add anymore. Okay, and don't forget, uh, you can always subscribe to us. We we love and need um to spread the word about our little old pod humble podcast. So please subscribe at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Mm-hmm. Or if you are on Android, don't forget to subscribe to us on any good or evil podcast catcher such as. Uh, Podcast Stitcher, uh, Podcast Addict. Uh, there is many, but just look for Defenders TV Podcast. Mm-hmm. Click that subscribe button. And don't forget to leave us a few ratings and reviews while you're there, especially over on iTunes, because it helps surface our content um, for other like-minded individuals who may want to know more about Iron Fist or Daredevil or Jessica Jones or Luke Cage or all rolling up into one of the Defenders. Exactly. Um, obviously, we're all road leads to the Defenders and not Doctor Strange, because Doctor <laughs> Strange is out now. It is over. We can forget about it. It's only on Blu-ray about a week, though, Chris. We haven't forgot uh, about it at all. Yeah, We've absolutely. Yeah, we've already watched it twice. <laughs> and, of course, now all roads lead to Thor Ragnarok. Absolutely. With Doctor Strange in it as a fantastic no. uh, special guest. Mm-hmm. No, all roads lead to Spidey. <laughs> that is true. That is true. There that are many true. roads ahead, gentlemen. Actually, no, even before that, all roads lead to Guardians of the Galaxy. Then all roads lead to Spidey. Then all roads lead to Defenders. Then all roads lead to Thor Ragnarok. I hate to correct you boys, but actually all roads lead to Friday, the 24th of March, with our review of episode four of season one of Iron Fist, Ace Diagram Dragon Palm. Try looking that one up on on Google. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I'm going to try that now. I'm afraid of what I'll see. Thanks so much for joining us. We will talk to you again on Friday. Yeah, thank you so much for all the feedback. And of course, we will speak with you next time. Bye. See you guys soon. Bye.